Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. Our God is a perfect God. He does everything right. And when we look in the scripture, if you are in a covenantal relationship with him through faith, then God is going to work in your life. The Bible says the good work that he's begun, he is going to complete. Elsewhere, it tells us that he's going to work for your edification. That is to build you up into the person that God wants you to be. Doing those things that fulfill his purposes, his will, so that you are a useful vessel, that you will be a person that lives a praiseworthy life and manifests his glory. And the verse of scripture that I want us to remember is Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 12 which also appears in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12 and verse 6, where it says, Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And that discipline, punishment, judgment, however you want to call that work of God, is for us to learn truth, to grow and mature, so we can better serve God. Take out your Bible and look with me to the book of Psalms in Psalm 39. Now, here David is going through a difficult time. And yes, he is going to speak about his sin and the consequence of his sin. And in this context, the consequence of his sin is that God's hand is heavy upon him. David is experiencing God's discipline, God's punishment. And David is going to speak out that this punishment is about to consume him, bring about the end of his life. Now, we need to remember that God has promised, and that is never to put us in a situation that we cannot handle. God knows what we can endure. And with his help, we are going to be brought through that time of discipline, and we are going to come out on the other side of it better able to serve God, better able to perceive the will of God. We are going to be stronger spiritually, growing, maturing, so that we are more effective in our call to serve the living God. And we need to remember that. So we don't grow discouraged. In a sense, David is discouraged. David is going through a most difficult time in his life. So let's begin Psalm 39. Look, if you would, to verse 1. And once more, we're going to find that verse 1 is that inscription 
It's going to give us a little bit of information about this psalm. And we read in verse 1 in the Hebrew text, most English Bibles and other languages, they kind of set the first verse aside rather than including it in the text. And this is an error. We read here, Lam Natsef, which means to the choir director, to the chief musician, the one who's going to lead this psalm in being chanted, being sung, being offered up to God publicly. And then we're told, and there's a dispute. You have Rashi and others seeing the next phrase is to a certain individual. We read in Hebrew, Li Dutun. And perhaps this is an individual. But others have pointed out, and this is the primary Christian view, is that it's an instrument one that we're not familiar with, so we do not know the individual, if it's a person, and we do not know the instrument, if this is what this word is referring to. But what we do know is that this psalm, as I've already said, is a psalm by David. Now let's look at the next verse, verse 2 in Hebrew, verse 1, more than likely in your Bible. David is speaking, he says, I have said. In this context, this word I have said is a word of commitment. It's a word of decision. And let me give you a preview of what David is saying. And that is that he's not going to join in with those who are walking contrary to the will of God. He says here, I have said, I will guard my ways. David is not desiring to go in the wrong direction, to walk on a way that is not God. So he says, I will guard my ways from sin. And specifically, he says, from the sin with my tongue. Now he's speaking about just that speech. David is not going to walk in the wrong way, nor is he going to speak incorrectly. And I want us to hear that for a moment, that phrase, to speak incorrectly. Now, biblically, we see something. We see, for example, in the, the epistle of James, that the tongue is very powerful, and the tongue, and what it says, reveals a great deal about us. What we say oftentimes reveals what we're thinking. And the Bible says, as a man think in his heart, so is he. So if I'm speaking incorrectly, it is a sign that I have wrong thoughts, and those wrong thoughts are going to manifest themselves in wrong behavior. So what David is saying here is, I am not going to speak sinfully. I am not going to utter those things that I'm thinking about that have entered into my mind that are incorrect. I'm going to guard my tongue, is what he's saying. Now, don't make the mistake as some that believe that, that we create with what we say. Those scriptures that people use in order to say that we can say something, proclaim it, declare it, and it will be, that's blasphemy. Because it's God and God alone 
He's the one who says, Vayihi, or let there be light, and there was light. I can say that makes no difference, no effect. There is so much misguided teaching, false teaching, in regard to the power of the tongue. What we should do is to speak truth in order to encourage, in order to teach, in order to speak praises to God. That is power. That is wisdom. But this idea that if I say that, that I don't feel good, that's going to make me sick. This idea that I declare something and it's going to be is sheer false teaching. So David says, I have spoken. I will guard my ways from the sin, from sin with my tongue. He also says, I will guard my mouth. And the next word is a maxom. Now, this is a word for stopping something. Some Bibles use the word bridle, but there's a problem with that because a bridle doesn't quiet a horse, but it enables an individual to lead that horse, to control that horse. So what David is saying here is simply, I am going to stop my mouth. I am going to take authority over it. I'm going to control what comes from it. So he says, I will guard my mouth with a, a barrier while the wicked is before me. David is not going to speak something with them. He is going to behave very carefully, watching his way, watching his speak in the midst of, of ungodly activity. What the scripture is saying is David has made a decision that he is not going to participate. He is committed to holding back, not joining in on anything that relates to wickedness. Verse 2 in your Bibles, verse 3 in Hebrew. It's a word here for I have become mute. And the next word is a word silence. So David is saying, I've become as a mute, I am going to remain silent. And then he says a synonym for that same concept of being silent. He says, I have silence from good, meaning that because of good in his life, he is silent, he is still, he's not going to participate, he is not going to join in in this type of activity with those type of individuals. He has guarded his words. He is stopping his behavior. He is not participating because he is committed to what this scripture says. And that is, I have silenced myself. I have made myself still because of good. And then he closes out this verse by saying, and my pain, and literally, this is word for, for made trouble. Some Bibles say stirred. So David in the midst of this, he is feeling pain. He is being troubled. His trouble and pain is being stirred up. Now, what is he referring to? Well, many believe that David is saying, in the midst of this ungodliness, David is under temptation. He is feeling this desire, 
Now, that's because we are all still in this body. Even though that we have been regenerated, we're still in this body of sin, we still have that carnal nature, and we can fall under temptation. Doesn't mean we have to succumb to temptation. Doesn't mean that we have to join in and, and submit to what our, our flesh wants. So David is simply saying in the midst of this, he is being burdened. He feels a pain. He's referring to simply the spiritual battle that every believer goes through. And, and here's the truth of the matter. Until you're born again, regenerated by faith in the gospel, the ministry of the Holy Spirit going and working in your life, until that happens, you're just going to give in to temptation. You're just going to see those feelings of temptation. I'll call to participate. But David is saying, I am troubled by them. I do not want to succumb to them. I do not want to join in with this. And he's in spiritual turmoil. He says in the next verse, verse 4 in Hebrew, 3 in English, Cham libi be which means hot is my heart within me. And this word for, for hot can refer to sometimes anger, meaning David is not pleased with the experience that he's having. No one likes struggling with temptation, struggling with sin. So he says, hot is my heart in my midst, in this inner being. When I, and this next word speaks of meditating upon things. So David, in the midst of, of this temptation, this, this type of behavior that he is, is seeing, witnessing, that he doesn't want to participate with, he says, in my meditation, fire will burn. And the point here is simply that he, and Paul uses the same expression, He's on fire within. And he's doing that because he understands something. He understands that sin is wrong, that he's undergoing temptation, and he's burning within. It's another expression of this temptation, this struggle. And it's a good fight. It's the right thing to do, not to give in, not to participate, not to join. He says at the end of the verse, I have spoken with my tongue. What is he referring to here? That he has confessed, and the implication is that he's not going to participate. He's not going to join in. He is not going to give in to this temptation. But in the midst of this, he wants to know something. Verse 5, he directs now, his thoughts, his words to God, and he says, Make known to me, O Lord, my end. Now, in the next few, few sentences, David is going to be speaking about the, the end of his life. We all know no one in this body lives forever. Our days are numbered, and we should be wise to be good stewards, good managers of each and every day. 
utilizing the days, the times that we have left. And David is going to realize publicly, speak publicly about what he understands. And that is that he should use the rest of his life in a very different way. Now, I want to set this up a little bit because David is going to be speaking about our life, a human life. When we look at it from the right perspective, our life can be vain, futile. It can be, and it should be understood that compared to, to God, our life is but a vapor. James says that, and David is going to refer to that several times. Our life is but a vapor. And the, the message and the wisdom that David has for us is this. If we number our days in agreement with God, that we understand the short time that we have left, relatively speaking, to eternity, whatever time we have left, is going to be gone very quickly. And he's going to tell us everything that we do, if we simply do it as an outcome of succumbing to our fleshly desires, join in with the world, all of that is going to be in vain, futile, and having no lasting significance. It's simply going to pass on to someone else. But here's the wisdom. We need to be people that live in a way that we submit to the will of God and we turn the futility of human life, doing those things that are God's will so they have kingdom implications. And then we can turn our days into something that has lasting, eternal relevance. This is the main message of the book of Kohelet, Ecclesiastes. Solomon saying, I had it all. I could do whatever I want. No repercussions. He's the king. His word is law. And he says, all that I strove for, all that I achieved, all that I accumulated, all that I became was, was vanity. It was vain. It was futile because there was nothing lasting to it. And that's why in the last chapter, Chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, here's the summation of life. Keep the commandments of God. Why? When I obey the will of God, when I do a good deed, motivated to glorify God, motivated to serve Him, there is going to be a, a blessing that is attached to that. For the doer of that, that mitzvah, that good deed, and that is going to have an eternal outcome, an eternal consequence in the kingdom of God. So what Solomon is saying is live in a way that you turn this earthly life into something that has kingdom outcome, kingdom implication, kingdom consequences. And that's why David says here, look again, Verse 5 in Hebrew 4 in English. Make known to me, O Lord, my end, how much time I have left, and the measure of my days. What is it? He says, 
and I will know what is the ceasing, the stopping, when I'm going to stop and cease to be. So David is saying, I want to know the time element, how much time I have left before I come to a ceasing, a stopping. And then he writes, behold, verse 6 in Hebrew, 5 in English, behold, and the next word is tefachot. Tefachot is a measurement, a measurement of your hand, a hand's width, not very much. And what David is saying is our life, the sum total of the time that we have, no matter how many years it may be, it is just but a hand's breadth, the width of a hand. This is what you, referring to God, you have set my days. And, and the lifespan, my lifespan, ke'ain negdecha, is like nothing before you. David is rightly pointing out this. When we look at God who is eternal, and we look at our 70, 80 years, perhaps 120 as we see after the flood, that, that time for the years of man, in a general sense, we have Abraham and others living longer, but, but generally, 120 years. And when you look at that number compared to eternity, God is without end, without beginning, without end. Whatever amount of time you live, it is relatively nothing. Anything compared to eternity is nothing. And that's why David says, my lifespan is, is before you nothing. And therefore, again, we need to turn that nothing of our life into kingdom consequence because the kingdom is forever. He goes on and completes this verse by saying, but all vanity is every man who takes a stand. Meaning this, every individual that takes his stand, positions himself, it's vanity. Left to himself, apart from God, you take your stand, you determine what you do, and it's futile. So he says, everyone, who takes a stand, it is hevel. It's in vain. Selah. Verse 7 in Hebrew, verse 6 in English. He writes, Surely, Beit Selim. Selim is an image, a reflection, but here most of the rabbinical scholars speak of it as a shadow, as the term tzel mavet. Tzel mavet is the shadow of death. And what he's saying is, we need to realize that the shadow of death is coming near to us. We are, every day, approaching our end. And that's why he says, surely, the shadow of death, in the shadow of death, a man walks. But vanity, and again, most English Bibles have the word like a noise, 
meaning a commotion of his life. But if you're good in Hebrew, this is a word that reflects to the Hebrew word hamon, which is many, a great multitude. And the context, and we'll see this in the next part, what David is saying is this. A man can acquire a great amount. He can have hamon a great deal. But all that he creates, it's not going to follow him into to eternity. All those physical possessions, whatever I acquire, whatever I get, whatever my life produces, all of that is going to come to abrupt end for me at the time of my death, at the end of, of my lifespan. This is what David's saying. So again, we want to utilize our life, doing those things that will have kingdom consequences, kingdom implications. But he says here, but in the shadow of death, sel mavet, a man walks. But vanity is what he accumulates. And then we have a synonym, the word yisbor, which means to do just that. He will accumulate, but he does not know who will, will gather them, gather up that multitude. And that's simply a fact. You can have great, great wealth, great assets, accumulated a great deal. But at the end of your life, someone else, and you may not know who it is, someone else is going to gather it up. They're going to take possession over it. Because you have strived, you have worked for that which is temporal, that which belongs to the world rather than working and utilizing your life for a kingdom purpose, for a kingdom eternity. Those things that endure where, as Messiah taught, don't store up treasures in this world, but rather lay up treasures in the kingdom of God, which one does not take from you, that doesn't rust and wear out. This is the same thing that David is saying. Verse 8 in Hebrew, 7 in English. And now, what I have hoped for, O Lord. Now, what he's saying is, now I want to reveal to you what I have hoped for, O Lord. And then he says exactly what he has hoped for. My hope is you. This changes everything. When our hope, our objective of our life is God, meaning this, we do everything with God in mind. His purposes, his priorities are all ours. This is what David is saying he wants to do. Now, I began this message by saying that David is in a difficult time in his life. David is experiencing God's discipline, God's punishment. Up until now, we haven't really seen that bore out in the text, but it's coming. And what David is saying here is this. He's learned his lesson. He is not going to join in. He's not going to participate with the wicked. He is committed to guard his ways, guard his speech, and, and have a different philosophy of life than the world. 
He is not about accumulating things only to see others uh, gather them up, collect them. David wants to live very differently. And this is why he says, and now, perhaps as a outcome of learning a lesson from God, he says, now what have I hoped for, O Lord? My hope is you. Verse 9, 8 in English. Now, here we begin to, to see that David is, is suffering discipline from God's hand for his sin. Why do we know that? Look at the next verse where it says, From all my transgressions, he has delivered me. David is saying, I've experienced your forgiveness, your mercy in the past, and this is what he's looking for now. God's deliverance. So he says, from all my transgressions, he has saved me. And he does not want to experience what he's going to be talking about now, herpat naval. Naval is a fool. And this word for fool means, and it's used, for example, we studied it a few months ago when we looked at Psalm 14, which says, a fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now, he knows there's a God, but he is lying to himself. Why? He says, you know, if there's no God, then I make the decisions. It's my will. And David is saying here, I do not want the, the shame, the contempt of such a foolish individual that, that is, and the word here is foolishness through a rebellious spirit through a denial of truth. You're convicted. I know this is right. I know this is proper, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to deny that. Set that aside. David says, I don't want the shame of that type of individual from that type of thinking to be upon me. So he says, do not put upon me the shame, the, the contempt, the disgrace of the foolish. Verse 10. Nine in English. He says it again. I have become a mute. I have become silent. I will not open up my mouth. Because you, you have done. Meaning this. I, I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to, to say anything. Because I realize you are behind this. And everything, remember what I said at the beginning. Everything that God does, it's right. Everything that he does, it is perfect. So David is saying, I'm holding my words back. I'm not going to say anything because you're in this God. This is what I'm experiencing. It is what you have done. And therefore, notice what he says. I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to criticize. But David is at a breaking point. David is experiencing God's discipline and his messages. I can't take it anymore. So he's not complaining, but he says to God, look at the next verse, verse 10 in English, 11 in Hebrew, remove from me, and pay attention to this next word. This is a word for, for being struck. 
It can be a plague. It can be some affliction. And David says, remove from me your plague. This, this suffering, this discipline that I'm going through, remove from me your plague. And then the next word, he says, and the terror or perhaps the destruction of your hand, for I am finished. David is at a breaking point. He's coming to the end, so he says. And this word here can be that of great fear and terror. It can be of destruction. It's a strong word, either fearing destruction or a word that speaks about destruction. And David says simply, your hand is heavy upon me. It is bringing me to my destruction. Your, and keep reading, next verse, verse 12 in, in Hebrew, 11 in English. In the reproof concerning my iniquity. Now he's spoken about sin, he's spoken about transgression, now he's using a third word, avon, for iniquity. In the reproof, rebuking, concerning iniquity, you have disciplined a man. That's what God does. God, and this word is a word for rebuking, reproving someone. It's a word to mean to straighten someone out. And God has straightened people out through his discipline. That's what he's saying. Your, your reproof of, of a man comes from disciplining him. And this causes him to see things differently. Now, in the second part of this verse, we, we have a word, and it's chamudo. The word chamud, if you ask that in modern Hebrew, it would be the word for cute, that which is desirable. But realize something. It is from the same word for coveting something. And what this word speaks about is that which is desirable, wanted, coveted, what someone is pursuing. And what David says is this, a man's pursuit, that which one covets, it ultimately is going to be dissolved like a moth. This is exactly what Messiah said about if you store up treasures on earth, the moth is going to come and devour it. It's not going to be any more. Now, here in many Bibles, we'll, we'll use the term beauty, his beauty, meaning all which he has made himself, all that he has become. In a moment, God's discipline can take that and utterly destroy it. Why? Because we're building that which is not of God. So David is saying, as a consequence of sin, many times we suffer a loss. We lose those things of this world. And by the way, that's going to be the consequences when we die as well. The second part of the verse says, Surely every man is hevel. 
This means a vapor. It's the same thing that, that James taught in James chapter 4. When he says, what is your life? It's a vapor. It's, it shows itself, manifests itself today, and it vanishes tomorrow. So all of this, when we look for the worldly, that which belongs to this age, it's all temporal. Here today, gone tomorrow. So David's saying, man, just like James, man is but a vapor, Selah. Verse, verse 13 in Hebrew, 12 in English. He's going to do what is always appropriate, and that's pray. He says, hear my prayer, O Lord. I cry out, and then he says, listen. And this word, listen, remember I speak of this frequently, three primary words for hearing. The one that demands a faithful response, lishmo. Another one that simply says, you need to hear this, what you do. That's a different story. But hear this, this is word lakshiv. And then there's the word lehazid, which means I'm saying this. But it's a word that speaks about hearing and it has the word ear in it. And what it's saying is put something. I want to put my prayer, God, in your ear. And in order to do that, one has to draw close to. It's a word of hear this prayer, O oh God, because David wants to experience once more the intimacy of God. He says, to my Tears, do not be silent. Don't be deaf to my tears. For I am a sojourner with you, a resident as all my fathers. Now, what's he speaking about? He uses two words, ger and toshav, which usually speaks about a stranger in the land of Israel. And in one sense, we know that Avram came and the patriarchs in general came from another place and they settled in the land. And they were viewed by the Canaanites and others who dwelt in the promised land as just that, strangers, settlers. But here, David is using this in a different vein. He's saying, in this world, I'm a stranger. I'm a soldier. This is not where I belong. I've been sent here. I've been given life for your purpose, O God. So David, as his fathers, this is not where a covenant people belong ultimately. We are strangers, aliens here, because our citizenship is of the kingdom. Last verse. Look at verse 14 in Hebrew, 13, more than likely in your Bible. We have the word hasha. Hasha, some will say, and it's used in a few instances in the scripture as looking away. Other, it's turning away. And what David is saying is, God, I desperately need a change. Turn away, and the implication is, and he wants intimacy with God, but... He wants the discipline 
to cease. So he says, turn away from me. Take away this discipline and I'll be strong. The implication is I will be stronger. And he wants this, this removal of God's heavy hand, this discipline, this judgment, this punishment to be removed so that he can be strong and that he, notice what he says, Beterem elech ve'eneni. Before I will go, meaning I'll die, and I am no longer. So David is saying, I've learned my lesson. I want now your judgment, your discipline, your punishment to be taken away. I'm at a breaking point, and I have learned. I want to be strong in the things of God. I want to be committed to the kingdom objectives. I want to live out before I am no more. I want to live out your purposes. What a wise thing to say. And let me ask you, does that describe you? Are you someone that desperately wants to utilize whatever time you have left whatever resources you have, anything that's under your authority, your domain, do you want to use it in order to purchase for the kingdom of God his eternal promises? What you should be thinking is this. What is it that I have in my life? What perhaps talents, what type of resources, abilities, whatever it may be, how can I utilize them for a kingdom purpose? Because when you do that, it gives it an eternal, a lasting outcome. But when you are connected to this world, pursuing simply the things of this world, accumulating the temporal, the physical, the material, when that is your objective, you are going to come to your end. And someone else, whatever you have accumulated, it's going to be gathered up by someone else. And you may not even know who will be the one who is the possessor of this. But when you store up treasures in the kingdom of God, you are going to be a recipient of the promises of God, the blessings of God. And they're going to have an eternal consequence. Use your time wisely. Guard your ways, guard your speech, guard your actions, that your actions are under the submissiveness to the authority of God for his purposes and not for futility and that which is vain. Well, I'll close with that until next time. Shalom from Israel. Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel. Thank you.